Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Have you ever thought, and you know, you're just trying to figure out how to get to Nexus. I don't learn from reading books. I don't have anything of value to offer as a leader. I'm I'm just whatever your title is in your company. And that you often may question even whether you have it all that it takes to be a great leader because you just read that there really are so many bad leaders. But you really do want to get better at this. Well, today we're going to talk about the power of me, nine leadership tenets for every leader with Dan Kopp. Dan's an interesting guy because you know, he he started out in the military. He's originally from Wisconsin. He started out in the military, went to um, the Army. Thank you for your service. As a military police serving in Frankfurt, Germany, the Republic of Panama, and Fort Devers, Massachusetts. Devons. Fort Devons. Devons. He served in various leadership roles in the military pri- prior to transitioning into public education where he taught and ultimately served in various executive roles. So think about this guy. He started out in military or its early part of his career was in military. Then he goes into education. Talk about servant leadership. And then he moves into having his own, being partnered in another business. But before that, he learned how to practice situational leadership. And for you old heads, you know exactly what situational leadership was. And for you new heads, I would imagine that you need to go and look it up because it's a really good program in terms of helping you understand the individuality of leadership and how to be a better leader. But since 2019, Dan's been coaching and mentoring leaders and helping employers create equitable compensation systems. And that saves time and money and attracts and retains the great the, the greatest people that they can have in their company. So think about all of this. All of his years, all of his lessons have been about how do you take the three parts, who we are, myself, how am I with other individuals, and how do I recognize and reward other individuals so that they can bring their best self consistently to the workplace. So that's Dan. But guess what? He decided he was going to write a book. And The Power of Me, Nine Leadership Tennis for Every Leader, is the book that he just produced and is now out on Amazon. How you doing, Dan? I am doing awesome. How about you? I am fabulous and getting better. <laughs> right on. So let's let's kind of talk about um, dynamical. 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 Tell me about that. Says you've been in that company since when? 2019. We started, and we help. We basically, if we 
we have refined the art of aligning compensation with the greatness employees. So in our opinion, longevity-based systems are a bit antiquated and they really don't do much for an employer or for the employee. But when you create compensation systems based on the great things your employees do for you, and you mentioned a couple of them at the beginning, you have great results that'll help you draw people in who fit you when you're going to market, help you retain great people, Innovative compensation systems will help you uh, combat quiet quitting and most importantly, ensure compensation equity. You talk about longevity-based performance systems, but the second part, it sounds like pay for performance. Is that what you're talking about? In a, in a sense, yes. It, it's all of the greatness that goes into being a great employee. So think of any great employee with whom you've worked worked in the past, and then think of the skills, attributes, abilities, degrees, certifications, anything that comes to mind that a great employee can do or should do for the organization, if it can be quantified, it should be put in a compensation system. Because nobody, even the, the more veteran members of our workforce, nobody wants to hear, come here as a 22-year-old starting at $50,000 and 30 years from now, you'll be at the top of the pay scale. And it really doesn't matter how well you do as long as you're not in the bottom 5% of performers. Mm-hmm. It's sort of got to exist. No, they want to come in. They want to make a difference. And they're simply asking for that difference to be acknowledged. And that will allow employers to not only reward their greatness, but you'll make a connection with the employees, which will help immensely with retention rates. Yeah. It's so that, that also help in terms of, you know, one of the things we talked about well, offline was this idea of equity and fighting for equity um, in the workplace. And so I bring that up because in 2000, you were a stay-at-home dad. I was. Yes, I was. It Hardest meant- job I've ever had. <laughs> but it also meant that you jumped out of the workplace and then came back in. Yeah, it was a uh- the right decision it was an easy decision, and it was it was just an arduous year. My daughter was three, two and a half months old when I started. She lived to tell about it. She's still alive and kicking, <laughs> twenty some years later, and she's doing well. And it was a hard job. My my year at home with her was about feeding, sleeping, or changing diapers, other and hoping that she would sleep without mm-hmm. screaming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a hard year. (laughs) But oftentimes when people jump in and out and today's careers, oftentimes are those are jumping in and out, you know, on other podcasts, I've talked to people about, you know, sometimes people want to do kind of what you did. You decided that you were going to stay home for a year, be with your family and make sure that the grounding was right there. But others decide that maybe they want to start their own business. And then when they try to come back into the workplace, people are kind of like, are you really, you know, are you going to jump out on me? Are you really here to stay? Do you really mean it? But your idea of aligning your performance and the way you um, reward and recognize people sounds like, particularly in the book, when I read the book, it sounds like there's something else going on in terms of how you think about valuing the contributions of people. Can you talk a little bit about when you're talking to a client and you're talking about this idea of how you figure out what's what the person is bringing to the workplace that's quantifiable and measurable that you talk about? 
We actually have a pretty good success rate. There hasn't been an employer we've yet to encounter that has, we've haven't been able to come up with some measurable things uh, to put in a compensation system. So it's as simple as meeting with the decision makers of an organization. Say, all right, let's talk about the, your general classification of employees. What types of workforce do you have? And then let's talk about what makes great employees in each of those categories. And if I show them an example of systems I've created for them or for other organizations, it really starts getting the, the mental juices flowing mm-hmm. because they they know what makes a good employee for their organization, whether it's uh, customer service or bedside manner. If we have a client who employs nurses and the quality of care for their, their patients is huge. Well, they can measure that as part of the evaluation tool. That's important to them. And it's the most important thing in their compensation system is the quality of care they're giving their, their individual patients. The technical skills on the back end are also important, but not as important. So, and their compensation demonstrates that. So it, it it goes into what does the organization, what do the decision makers know? Actually, what do the employees in that particular job category know that goes into making a great employee? Because when built correctly, let's assume we have a large enough company. We've got people from that job category, a first line supervisor, maybe a middle manager, and then maybe somebody from the HR. It's a collective approach to what makes greatness in this category. And each of those levels of the organization are going to have their own point of view, none of which are wrong, but collectively, it's going to be a more comprehensive view of what greatness in that employee group looks like. And then we start talking about, all right, how do we quantify the things that you're talking about? And Many times, it oftentimes comes down to things that are not necessarily as tangible, like professionalism comes to mind mm-hmm. or customer care. Those typically manifest themselves in, in evaluation tools. Yeah. So if people aren't using their evaluation tools in their compensation systems, I would urge them to, because not only does it recognize the greatness, it also can encourage and reward satisfactory and exemplary behavior. Because right now, greater than 50% of the workforce is guilty of quiet quitting in the country. Because there's no impetus if you've got a longevity-based system. And let's face it, if you're not the bottom 5% of performer in any organization, odds are pretty good you're off the radar because the first-line supervisors don't have the bandwidth to address more than the bottom 5%. So you can literally sort of sit back and coast, do the bare minimum, and there's no impetus to even be satisfactory at your job. But all of a sudden, we introduce the evaluation tool into the compensation system and maybe tie, again, this is based on whatever the decision makers want, but maybe it's worth $1,200 a year just to be simply satisfactory at your job. Well, most people are going to stand up and take notice when it's it's $100 extra a month just to be Mm -hmm. satisfactory. I produce widgets. I can produce widgets at the the recommended rates. I can Mm -hmm. do that. And at the quality they want, why wouldn't I want to do that for that extra $100 a month? So they've been motivated, albeit with a carrot, and maybe that's they really still maybe don't care. But if they're performing satisfactory tasks, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine an organization that embedded satisfactory and exemplary in their their systems, and everybody reached at least satisfactory performance? Yeah. I don't. Unless you're like an organization of one, two, or three, I don't think there's an organization in the country that could say across the board we're sat- at least satisfactory in every yeah. position. And what does that mean? And that's the value of what I thought is too often what's what's satisfactory in my head is not the same picture you got. Right. And it, it, that's about setting expectations and setting and holding people accountable. 
Um, especially when we're talking leaders. Hey, leader, you're new here. Go. Good luck. See ya. Well, you've got to set expectations because six months from now, when you realize that leader's not leading up to his or her potential or aren't doing things in accordance with what you wanted, well, that's sort of not that leader's fault if you didn't set expectations and then did some accountability checks along the way. Um, if you contact me, mention this great show, it, we will give you 50% off our licensing and onboarding fee for Dynamico Systems, where you too can start winning in today's employment market by creating compensation systems that recognize the greatness in your employees. So we'll give you 50% off our licensing fee, and then you'd have the other 50% to pay and then a monthly recurring charge per employee per month. What's the sweet spot in terms of the companies that you work for? We have clients that have fewer than 20 employees and some that are in the several hundred up to 500. Mm -hmm. We can help any employer, but typically what we're finding, we're in small to medium-sized companies because typically they don't have, some small companies don't even have an HR office. So it's the CEO or the president doing everything with minimal support, mm -hmm. or it's an, one HR person and maybe an administrative assistant. So we can help easily help any organization in that world. And um, the training on our platform is extremely easy. It's 30 minutes up and running. The huge part of what we do is the paradigm shift our clients need to have to get off of a longevity-based system onto something that's innovative and makes a difference. So it's an easy-to-use platform, web-based, and hit us up and we can hook you up. Dynamico is a great company if you're interested in the equity side. but Somehow you transition to, you know, you got two companies now. So I do. I can tell that you are not bored. I am not. <laughs> the second company, which is the basis of the book, is called Leading Like a Buffalo, right? Correct. Okay. Back in, in March, I was talking to a business coach and I know HR, I know compensation, and I can talk with those people and walk that type of thing. And I, I'm an quote unquote, expert in that field, started talking about leadership. And she said, time out, you shifted from expert to passion. And so she really made me acknowledge the passion I have for leadership. And then about a month later, my partner sort of hinted, hinted a little bit about me doing something with leadership. And I said, I just point out, point blank, asked him, like, Dave, do you think I should like start a new company about leadership? He's like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. So I had this book on the back burner. I had a draft and, and I decided to start a leadership company and write the book to support it. And mid July of 2022, I was meeting with a client for Dynamico, who actually he's a president of a law firm. And he said, I want to hire you for compensation assistance for the law firm, but also as a leadership coach and mentor and um, trainer for our new attorneys we bring on. And I said, all right, give me a couple of days because I really don't have a company yet. So <laughs> that was a Wednesday. By Monday morning, my company, my new company, Leading Like a Buffalo, Buffalo was official. And since then, we've done corporate training. Most recently, I was working with the leadership team of a police force in the city of Wisconsin. And uh, so they had the same situation. We've got new leaders. They're promoted from within, sergeants and lieutenants. And everybody in the organization assumed they had the time, wherewithal, and understanding on what to do next. Mm -hmm. And not unlike any other, uh, most other organizations, there was no forethought to go in. What type of training should we give these people? Mm -hmm. You know, just because you're a good patrol officer doesn't by default make you a good sergeant. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. And I think that's how most leaders get in their job, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, one day you're just doing your job and the next day you're leading others to get a job done. And, right. and nobody's ever, or I shouldn't say nobody's ever, but they rarely help you understand that there's a shift that has to happen in you first. Oh, absolutely. It's huge. And even looking back, I was actually interviewed back in June and it was by another veteran. And we talked about leadership at that time. And I hadn't even thought about it until he asked. He's like, wait a minute. When we got promoted, entered leadership positions in the army, we didn't get trained. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> we didn't. Mm. You know, I, I'm a, a specialist one day and then a corporal the next. And my my job changed. All of a sudden, I was a team leader, and then I became a sergeant shortly thereafter. And wow, yeah, there wasn't mm-hmm. any like day to day mentoring or leadership discussion. It was about what's the job today, or what who's working what shift or whatever. So it exists in every profession and every organization. And my partner and I in that company, we um, do a lot of public speaking, and we do. Uh, corporate training with with the concept of leadership 201 is often overlooked. Yeah. And that's where we come in just to set people up, the new emerging and also newly positioned leaders to set them up for success and give them the confidence to lead through their lens. So let's talk a little bit about some of the tenants because I encourage everybody to read the book because one of the things that it's it's very interesting is, is you kind of take a different tact on this book where others seem to say, here are the nine things you got to do or the 10 things you need to do as a leader. Boom, 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 boom. You really say that this is a journey of self-discovery, that no two leaders, no two people are going to lead the same in different situations. And I would imagine that comes back from your training as situational leadership, which basically says no two people are ever going to lead. No two people need to be led the same way. But you have to learn how to do that. You have to be able to see the clues, et cetera, and being able to do it. The fact that this is a, a self-discovery, you have to do the work yourself for yourself, right? Right, right. Idea here, most of us are not you know, that's not the normal thing. You know, we're used to going to school. You were an educator. The teacher said, this is what you need to learn. One plus one equals two. You had a coach because the teacher was there to coach. Right. You had a support system. Most leaders don't really have a support system because in their organization, whether they know it or not, they're always in competition, sometimes for the compensation program, but sometimes just to get to the next level. How do how do I start? And, you know, what does that mean? How do I think about a journey of self-discovery? I think, well, this is what we start with our training or when I'm doing a small group coaching or one-on-one, it's always about let's identify who you are as an individual, Mm -hmm. because you're not wrong for that. Whoever you are, it's what it is. And you're right for that, just like I'm right for being me. And then we talk about why you are that person, not like, what's your why? Mm -hmm. Many people get confused when Mm -hmm. I start talking, like, why why is that important to you? Why Mm -hmm. is that the way you're, where did you learn that lesson? So it's pretty easy to identify your values, but, and some things that motivate you, but the why behind them is an ongoing journey. I actually started down this path in 2010 and I had 
I, I was a high school principal at the time and I hired an associate principal. So he worked directly with me. And for the first couple months, he asked me why, you know, I appreciate what you did. I understood what you did. I understood why you did, like it worked. Why did you know to do it that way? I'm like, dude, I, cause I did leave me alone. So literally it was like a toddler. <laughs> like if you've had a kid, you know, it. why, why, why literally for two or three months. So I finally started answering him. I'm like, oh my gosh, he was coaching me to get to the why behind mm. who I am. And I didn't even know it. And I that started in 2010. I'm still not sure about everything, but mm-hmm. I'm a lot closer to knowing who I am and more importantly, why I am that person. Mm-hmm. So as the people with whom I work start that self-discovery, again, it could be decades worth of time. Mm-hmm. Nobody's done it in one meeting or mm-hmm. one session or mm-hmm. one four-hour session, whatever, because it's a journey. And then while you're thinking about the why you're wired the way you are, we start talking about general leadership tenets that you can implement today or tomorrow to be a better leader. And you, it's not about a 12-step process, do step number one, master it, do step number two, master it, go on to three, et cetera. Here are nine ways to approach leadership that some of which may, some of them may resonate with you, some may not, but keep thinking about these things, at least the ones that resonate with you and start implementing them immediately because they're going to make you a better leader. For example, taking care of your people is one of the tenets I talk about, why it's important, where I learned it, and I give some examples of how to do it. So Denise, you don't have to be Dan to, to believe that tenant is important and lead through that lens. And you taking your care of your people is going to look drastically different than how I take care of my people. But at the end of the day, we can both still do it. And it, especially in small organizations where there might be you know, 30 or 40 people and two or three leaders, there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It's easy to overlook the people who are getting the the, mm-hmm. the work done. Whether mm-hmm. you're producing widgets, you work in a retail facility, it's very easy to overlook because you're inundated with other work. Mm-hmm. I would argue taking care of your people is probably the most important because it is going to alleviate the pressure in every other part of your world because your people are your greatest asset. Yeah, you know, and, and so two of those things, taking care of your people, lots of people say it, people are your greatest assets, but making that, something that is actionable. And that's one of your tenets is actions speak louder than words. So a lot of times people come at it with, you know, I make mistakes, but know my heart, you know, because I learn, I know you by the behavior you exhibit. I can't read your mind. So I can't see your intention. Intentions are invisible. You know, how, how do you reconcile that first? My heart says one thing, my actions may display another, but where did you learn where that was an important tenet to believe in? It comes out a lot, especially with people who are not necessarily secure with their skill set or who they are. And just because you're in a leadership position doesn't make you a good leader type concept. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about the great things I do or will do. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm just going to sit back and watch and I'll decide for myself whether or not you're good at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell me you are. Mm -hmm. The word transparency comes to mind because I... I agree that people need to be transparent. And I've worked with countless people in the last 20 years where I said, all right, if you've got a question about a decision I've made or something that's going on, you need to ask. You may not like my answer, but you're at least going to understand how I got to it. 
I will tell you if you've got if because I don't want anybody filling in their own understanding about anything. So I encourage people ask me, and it, it worked remarkably well because people make assumptions when they don't know about something. They just make up an answer that fits the narrative, and mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, it's mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. So with people who uh, to who constantly claim they're transparent, I've first of all, I don't like talking about any value I may bring or not bring. It's I'm not a self-promoter. So when people constantly talk of self-promote, I, I pay attention. And when they talk about transparency, I pay attention because I've noticed that people who say I'm transparent, I'm transparent, I typically aren't. Mm. So, okay. that, so give that, me an example. Bring it so, down, bring it home, bring it home. All right. So I worked with a lady who all the time we were we were similarly situated in an organization and she constantly talked about how transparent she was but i would routinely see her go into the boss's office and we had the same boss and exit an hour or two later with answers and decisions made or game plans produced without me who i should have had a voice or those who she was leading at least there should have been a point of view considered no other input. She'd go behind closed doors, exit with answers. Like, all right, you keep talking about transparency. Mm-hmm. I've yet to see it because I darn sure couldn't see through that door when you were yeah. sitting behind it. Yeah. yeah. So don't talk about it. Just do it. Yeah. You asked me, where did I first learn the whole action speak louder than words? Um, I was talking to a coworker, uh, a similarly situated gentleman about five years ago. I happened to grow up with him and he offhandedly was telling a story and mentioned our football coach. I'm like, Oh my gosh, the mere mention of that coach's name made me realize where I had first learned this. We were acceptable when we were playing football in high school to the point where we routinely beat our opponents. So our coach enforced in us all the time, do not cheap shot, talk, talk smack. Don't reciprocate Mm -hmm. when they do that. Walk away, go back to the huddle, let the scoreboard speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, I embraced that. Now, today's youth, unfortunately, even some of our professional athletes, when you say let the scoreboard speak for itself, they'll point at it, use some choice language, say, hey, look, blankety mm-hmm. blank, look at the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. You know, I own you. That's not what our coach meant. He literally meant walk away. They'll realize at the end of the game who won that football game. You don't need to tell them about it while you're doing it. Yeah, that, the other side that doesn't get mentioned in that is the mental tenacity of being able to stay focused on what's really important, which is the next play. The last exactly. play is over, but the next play isn't. And when you get distracted on the whatever, then you got to refocus your energy back into the game itself. And it's Absolutely. easy to get knocked off because you are already off. You're already on a teeter-totter because you're looking at the scoreboard. You're looking at, you know, what this person is saying or what you're going to say right. or blah, 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 blah. The cheap shots, the cheap stands, as Brene Brown, those sitting in the cheap stands, as Brene Brown would say. I, I So leading out with, the, you know, actions speak louder than words. There's another one that I want to dig into, and that was be beyond reproach. And so here's this idea of, you know, we're human. We have a propensity to want to be perfect and perfectionism can get in the way. And we tend to judge people um, by their perfectionism or what we believe is perfectionism. Yet we make mistakes. So how am I beyond reproach when 
I'm not perfect. Well, none of us are, and I've made my share of mistakes in life, but it it goes to the motivation and the thought process leading up to the success or the mistake. So mm-hmm. if you 100% of the time act morally and ethically without an ulterior motive or hidden agenda, you're going to be better off. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the antithesis of that. So if you do something where you made a questionably moral decision or an unethical decision, or you had a hidden agenda that became exposed, people are going to see that. So fast forward to the next decision, or three or four years later, they're not going to forget the fact that you have a hidden agenda or you're unethical or immoral. And they're mm-hmm. going to question everything. Like, why did you do it this way? What, you know, what are you trying to hide? When that happens, you are guilty and you've got a problem on your hand because you've trained those people who are questioning you to that you are not trustworthy. That is Absolutely. your fault. Yeah. But the opposite Let's assume everything you do, even if it leads to a, whoops, that was a mistake, but Mm -hmm. you did it with proper intention, no hidden agenda. It was morally and ethically aligned and you do whatever. People are still going to question you, but that's not your problem. That's theirs. Mm -hmm. They're looking for something that's not there. Holding you accountable to the perfectionist mode. Right, right. Yep. I made a mistake and I've had that. Like I... I made a recommendation to a board for which I was working at one point in time, and I misunderstood the input from my mm-hmm. team, and I made a bad recommendation. And my team came to me the next day and said, oh, well, that what happened last night blew up. And I'm like, why? They told them, oh, I misunderstood. So I owned it. I, I told, hey, I misunderstood what was told to me. I'll undo it at the next meeting. Everybody take a deep breath. It's all yeah. good. And that's interesting because in that example, your team is really feeling, you know, the angst of we made a mistake. We didn't represent the vision and the purpose of the company and to be excellent in it. And yet you could kind of go, okay, well, wait a minute. How do we fix it? How do we move into what that looks like? Which is another demonstration of your actions speak louder. Don't be afraid of taking a risk, but let's own up to our mistakes. That's another tenant. Own it. Mm-hmm. Own your behavior, your actions, your words, and those of your team, those of your organization, own it. Take responsibility. And you will you will endear yourself with people when you you own your mistakes, your behavior, et cetera. Even if it's wrong, if you're blatantly wrong and you did something, yes, I was immoral or unethical. I own that. I'm I'm wrong, period. Or oops, I made a mistake. Yes, I own that. Or my team made a mistake. Yes, I own that. It happens. Let's move on. That makes me think also that individuals like recognition from different ways, you know, and so there's we're, we're oftentimes there's there are books out there are cultures that particularly want to be the we culture. Yet there are some people, some roles that what's more importantly is the me culture, not from a selfish point of view, but I need to see that I got credit. I, you know, I'm a scoreboard kind of person. Salespeople are like that. They want to be on the hunt. They want to get out. They want to know that they're at the top of it. And I'm a leader trying to think about the individuality of my folks and then how do I align my leadership, my way of thinking and also get them to be, you know, how do I define this we thing when, well, let me put it this way. We all want recognition for what it is we are, we do and who we are. But sometimes it's, it's, I need a scoreboard. 
that tells me I'm doing good and it shows to everyone and others, they just want a, a quiet acknowledgement of it. But obviously everybody wants to be compensated for it, as you talked about in the beginning. But how do, as a leader, how do I think about creating this culture where collaboration, because no business succeeds, you know, with a great one department. It, it is a collaboration to make a company work. Yeah, right. yeah. Am I making myself clear? Yeah. Um, so individualism is great. And the larger your organization, the broader the chance you have of having a diverse workforce or coworkers, mm-hmm. which is great. In my, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, my opinion, the more diverse, the better. Because when we have diversity in human beings, we have diversity in thought. Mm-hmm. And if we're all automatons thinking the same way, especially if you've got a, a nucleus of a leadership team of five people and they're all wired the same way, mm-hmm. what type of, th- there might be good decisions coming out of that, that group, but you'll never know if they could be better or not until you have some diverse points of view being added to the mix. Mm-hmm. So e- whether it's a we person or a me person, there is room for each individual in every organization and maybe a me person that's somebody who you you harness their power and they're your social media person or maybe they're a great mentor for other people because they know everybody in the company and they're all out talking to them so work to the strengths of your individual employees whether it's a me or a we person or any variation thereof and then also think about how you take care of them one way of taking care of them is a, a subtle note to the person who wants to be in the background doing great things. And the other one might want public accolades. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had somebody retire. um, He had been working in the organization for 35 plus years. And we typically did an end of year celebration. Come on up front. He said, I literally will not come Mm -hmm. if you even pretend to joke with me that you're going to actually have me up front. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be in the back. You can say my name, but I'm not coming up. I'm darn sure not saying anything. Hey, no problem. I took heat from that, from other people. Oh, this is what we do for 35 year veterans now. I didn't say that's all dude wanted, but I, he, he went off to the sunset and retired. But there's an example as a leader, you meet people where they are, you meet their needs. Compensation systems can help you do that. You've got people in positions. It's a wee person and they're a good teammate. It's going to manifest itself in their team and their production and their skill set. The compensation system should reward them for that. Mm -hmm. Just like a me person you mentioned in sales, maybe that person does get into your sales force and all of a sudden he or she is at the the top performing your sales. The compensation system should recognize that because we've all got the the ability to do great and compensation system should acknowledge the greatness within the power of me through the through the employee's lens. Mm -hmm. So identify their greatness. If it can be measured, it should be put in a a compensation system. And then as a leader, you've got a system in place at the same time you're actively leading to Mm -hmm. meet the needs of the individuals within your team and the individualism Mm -hmm. that exists in your team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one other question, you know, a lot of this is, I mean, it's just a lot of things to take in. What does your schedule look like that you can get these things in? First of all, my mission in life is to help other leaders. And when I say that to employers, I have to, I said, you do realize you're an employer. That means you're a leader, right? Some employers don't realize they're actually in leadership roles. So Mm -hmm. there's the first hurdle. Mm -hmm. So I help other leaders, some of whom happen to be employers. And my legacy is the impact those I've helped have on their organizations. 
So that's what motivates me on a daily basis. So when I I know we're reaching a good audience here, and if somebody can who's listening, if each one of your audience members can take away one nugget of knowledge, I've done my job on this podcast. That's my goal daily. What can I do to positively affect change with those with whom I'm interacting? And that's what motivates me. And when you're you're working towards your passion and thinking about your legacy and the impact the, the people I'm helping are going to have on others. It's pretty easy to get through a day, whether it's an eight-hour day, a 12-hour day, or a 16-hour day. It's pretty easy to get through those days. Mm. Tell me about your spread the love. Spread the love. All right. So the leadership book, The Power of Me Leadership, Nine Leadership Tenets for Every Leader. They're things that will make you a better leader. One of the tenets in that book is take care of your people. It is quite easy to understand. It probably resonates with most leaders probably resonates with most employers, but regrettably, not a lot of people when it comes time to actually go to work and get the job done on a nine to five, they don't take time to think about it or let alone do it because they're too busy doing tasks that appear on a a to-do list. Mm -hmm. So take care of your people are subtle things that you can do to just acknowledge the human being with whom you're working. Mm. So for the last 15 years, I have overtly and consciously not populated my Friday calendar with any types of tasks. Now, there's always a list of tasks to do, but those are sometimes 6, 10, 12 months out. They can wait. (laughs) Come Friday, my task, unwritten task, is to spread the love. And that's one way I take care of people. So I interact with people in my personal network, my professional network. I have a uh, presence on LinkedIn, and I'm overtly and consciously thanking people on LinkedIn who's have who've had a positive impact on my life that week. I'm reaching out to people. Maybe it's a colleague with whom I used to work in the past, and I haven't talked to him or her for a couple of years. I'll reach out, text, whatever. I was doing a podcast like this not two months ago, and a guy, a buddy of mine I've known since my army days, was texting me back and forth. He's in Uganda. It was a Friday, and I was checking on him, just seeing how he's and he lives in Uganda now. And so it it's nonstop worldwide. I'm constantly ch- checking in on people, interacting, seeing how they're doing, seeing if I can support. They reciprocate. So it's mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. And it's just about bu- building network. And we're all in this together. And if we approached everything we're doing as we're all in this together, could you imagine the great place we could make this country? Mm-hmm. 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 So that's spreading the love. I embrace it. Um, my next tattoo will be spread the love tattoo. So <laughs> I have the appointment. I'm December not even going to ask you where you go put it. Okay. December 17th. It'll be, up, it will be appropriate. I could show it because one of my other tenants is on this arm. <laughs> All right. The, the Buffalo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be on my other arm. Commensurate with. You know, so that uh, that's kind of the last one I want to talk about. Because in your book, the last one is be the Buffalo. What does that mean? Be the Buffalo. I have always lived my life like this, but I did not have a name for it until about. 13 or 14 years ago, my wife and I were going someplace. I happened to be ready two minutes before she was. So I picked up her, uh, a magazine she had sitting there. It happened to be Oprah's magazine. Don't <laughs> judge. Man. I was going to say an enlightened man. So I'm not a pick up a magazine and read an article type guy, but I am a pick up a, a magazine and read a chart type guy. And the chart I flipped to said the top 10 things I've lived in life. It happened to be by Donna Brazil, a political pundit. So the first and only one I remember was the first thing she wrote. And it was about something she learned from the head of the Cherokee Nation, a woman by the name of Wilman Mankiller, taught her how the Cherokee lived their life on the Great Plains. When there's a storm coming on the Great Plains, 
the American bison, we also refer to them as the buffalo, see the storm coming, the females sort of turn tail and run, and the storm and the, the, the females are going in the same direction, and the storm takes a while to get over them. The male, in this case we refer to as the buffalo, charges it, and they get through the storm better, faster. So that's how I've always lived my life. I never had a phrase for it until I learned it then, but I've that's who I am. I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the Buffalo. I, I approach things and address things that need to be dressed. Mm-hmm. It isn't about liking confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's not about encountering something and just going off and saying, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's about understanding what needs to be addressed, knowing the, the enough background information that you, you can appropriately address it and then addressing it in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So most people understand all that, but then I challenge people to say, all right, think about a, an uncomfortable conversation you've had to have with a, a loved one, a child, a parent, a coworker, a boss, and think about the dread leading up to the conversation versus the conversation itself. 99% of the time, you've got more mental angst due to the dread leading up to the conversation than actually occurred during the conversation. So in other words, be the Buffalo, get that conversation behind you. I hate confrontation. I just like it behind me more than I like it in front of me. Mm -hmm. So I want it behind me. Mm -hmm. So if you've got to have a a discussion with an employee and it's Thursday, you're going to say, I'm going to Monday morning at nine. No, do it at three o'clock on Friday. Because if it's Monday morning at nine, Guess what you're thinking about all weekend? You're going to sleep like a baby Saturday night, waking up crying every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So don't do that to yourself. (laughs) Have the discussion at three o'clock on Friday. Take it off your shoulders and off your plate and put it on the employee's plate where it belongs. So there's an example how it manifests itself in the world of a leader or an employer. Because we have, unfortunately, we do have to have critical conversations. Mm-hmm. And if you know the the information that, and you know how to handle it, do it sooner than rather than later. Yeah. Those uncomfortable conversations, they do take up brain space, don't they? Yeah. And I, I had a situation about five years ago and I saw two leaders who worked for me. They had a sort of a non, a, not the greatest of exchange right. between the two of them. And I saw it and I was so, li- I was livid. But I literally had no idea how to address it. And it was like close the business one day. And the next morning, I called each of them uh, about midday the next day. I called each of them, say, hey, this is what I saw. And this is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. By eight o'clock that night, both of them called me and said, hey, we took care of it. It's behind us. Thank you for getting involved. We're good now. Mm-hmm. But had I addressed that the night before or even when I got to work the next morning, I was still less than happy. I don't know what I would have said, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to say. So it took me about 18 hours to figure out what to say and to get my emotions in check. Yeah. So it's not about going off and going up, flying off the handle and yelling at somebody because you don't have to yell when you're in a leadership position. If you're right. yelling, you might, unless it's an emergency, like the building's on fire, yeah. Hey, yeah. You, know, you start yelling. All right, feel free to yell. But if you're yelling in a leadership position, you probably got to reconsider your approach or maybe the fact that you're in a leadership position. Yeah. Cause if you can't handle your own emotions, you're not going to be able to handle the emotions of other individuals. Right. Right. So when I saw that I wouldn't have yelled when I interacted with him, but I surely did not understand what needed to be said until the next day. And I guarantee you wouldn't, they wouldn't have thanked me 
because I would have been less than happy when I talked to him the night before had I addressed it immediately. Right, right, right. Which is about composure, right? Yeah. You don't have to do everything in the moment. You should take a step back. You should take a deep breath before you move forward. So how can people get a hold of you? Two ways uh, for de- for compensation systems. It's dan at dynamicosystems.com. It's in the show notes. Yes. Or dan at leadingbuffalo.com. So dan at dynamicosystems or dan at leadingbuffalo. Either one works for either company and I'll answer and we can chat and see how I can help. So guys, you know what I'm going to say. If you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because I promise you, it will be a conversation that will generate some new thoughts in you, new thoughts in other individuals. And you will find a few ways in which you can close the gap, get from where you are now to where you want to be. And I promise it will be a remarkable leadership lesson that you can take, you can own, and you can do better and be better tomorrow. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.